On this episode of Cities Work, we had one of the driest falls in recorded history. From a pandemic to an earthquake, now this drought. 100% of Utah is in drought right now. About 90% is in uh, is in extreme drought, and uh, and about half the state is in the most extreme category of drought. And Governor Spencer Cox considers this a time to act. I'm Susan Wood, host of the City's Work Podcast, a podcast about challenges, issues, and ideas shared by Utah's local leaders from the Utah League of Cities and Towns. On today's podcast, I'm joined by Utah's Deputy Director of the Division of Water Resources, Candace Hassenjäger, and the Division's Drought Coordinator, Laura Haskell. Candace and Laura, welcome to you both. Thank you. When we look outside and it's raining and snowing, it's pretty hard to grasp the concept of a drought. What is the current water situation in Utah? The current water situation, we've had some recent storms, but unfortunately they haven't pulled the state out of drought. We had a very hot, very dry year last year. The summer and fall were very dry And the snowpack is only about 75% of what we need for the year. And even if we were to receive a great snowfall, we have very, very dry soils that will soak up a lot of that water before it gets to our rivers and streams and our reservoirs. So there are different classifications to define a water shortage or the severity of a drought. Where does Utah rank right now? Utah is entirely in drought, um, and 90% of the state is in the category of extreme drought or worse, according to the U.S. Drought Monitor. And when indicators are showing what we see right now, Laura, what does it likely mean we'll see in the heat of the summer or the fall? NOAA puts out a three to six month outlook, and they are expecting that this drought will sort of continue for the next three to six months. When we continue to have these hot, dry conditions and dry soils, uh, people, last year's water use, the reservoirs went down by 14% from this time, you know, last year. We just use a lot of water when it's hot, dry conditions. It's particularly on our outdoor landscaping. Candace, this declaration is in effect for 30 days, according to new legislation that just passed. So that means it expires mid-April. Is 30 days enough time to make a difference in this situation? Uh, That is a tricky one. Unfortunately, I don't think 30 days is enough time um, that we'll all of a sudden see the drought end in 30 days. It does do a couple of additional things that it activates a drought response committee that reviews the hardships and unmet needs and, and, and identifies actions and recommendations to address those needs. It also ensures interagency coordination. Since drought has such widespread of impacts and the drought response committee is therefore made up of several different representatives, including agricultural, municipal suppliers, forestry, fire, and state lands, wildlife, wildfire, commerce and tourism. So it's made up of this very diverse group that, you know, drought impacts. So we were able to have a lot more interagency coordination due to that. 
And one of the most important things I think it does is bring awareness to it, right? When the governor issues a emergency declaration, people wake up and pay attention. And I think that's really one of the benefits that this drought declaration has, even though it's only in effect for 30 days. So now we're seeing the indicators that the situation exists and the situation appears pretty extreme. What should people start doing to prevent a serious shortage later in the summer and in the fall? The average Utah yard takes about 3,000 gallons of water per watering. So eliminating even one watering can have big savings. 60% of our residential water supply is used for landscaping outdoors. And we can quickly save a lot of water by reducing that. And watering too soon can actually lead to shallow roots and do more harm to your lawn than it does good. Residents waiting to water is one of the most effective ways that they can reduce their water use in the springtime. Um, as Laura mentioned, about 60% of our residential water supply is used on our outdoor yards and gardens. So that equates to a large water savings, just waiting to water. One of the other things that we offer as a rebate, so they can get a smart irrigation controller. The state offers rebates for irrigation controllers that take the guesswork out of how often they should water and how long they should water. Uh, so I would check out utahwatersavers.org to get their smart irrigation controller rebate. What else can residents do? If they go to drought.utah.gov, they can track drought conditions as well as there are a bunch of links to conservation tips and tricks, including like fixing leaks, our lawn watering guide, as well as links to our social media that they can follow. Now, cities are encouraged to develop and implement water restriction plans for the upcoming irrigation season. And there are some other things that cities are doing to step up to address the drought situation. Let's talk more about that. Cities and counties are on the front lines of water conservation, both in the short term, like now when the drought is significant, and the long term when they're developing policy. So they can set an example within their own communities and encourage water-wise behavior. They can lead by example in how they are watering their own facilities and government buildings to be as efficient as possible. Installing smart controllers on their parks. There are larger irrigation controllers for parks that they can install. There are soil moisture sensors. There's a lot of things on the technology side that can help offset cities having to run around trying to change things. And we definitely recommend cities to review their ordinances to make sure that they don't have any ordinances that discourage water-wise behavior like for example, Laura and I were talking about um, requiring turf and park strips is an ordinance that if that's still on their books, that's one that they could definitely get rid of. There's a lot of water-wise landscaping that's beautiful that doesn't require the irrigation of a very difficult piece of turf. In addition to that, long-term, looking at integrating how land use and water planning works within their system is really critical. And that's getting the land planners and the water planners in the same room to discuss what the ordinances are, how are they building, what are the infrastructure that's being put in place. For example, if builders you know, are just putting in turf on fast growing areas, that's gonna set the water policy for decades to come, where if we can start shifting our landscape from a 
turf dominant landscape to either water wise turf. There are certain varieties of turf that use less water or like a local scapes or reducing water use there. That'll save us in the long run. And also educate residents on water saving actions they can take, whether it's applying for a rebate for an irrigation controller or, you know, encouraging them to wait to water. I think there's a huge element, you know, cities can offer and help educate the public. And and I would just add, you know, we all recognize that Utah is one of the driest states in the nation. So we need to get more aggressive with our conservation efforts and that it's not just a city's job. It's not just a resident's job. We all need to do it. Good, valuable information. Thank you, Candace and Laura, for giving us that insight into the present water situation here in Utah and for joining us on the City's Work podcast. Let's talk a bit more about what communities and residents can do about the water situation in a moment. First, I'd like to acknowledge our league sponsor, Prepare 60. PrEP 60 teaches local leaders about securing Utah's water future. We're pleased to have PrEP 60 sponsor programs like this for the Utah League of Cities and Towns. Now we bring in another guest, Jordan Allen. He's the Water Conservation and Quality Coordinator from the City of South Jordan. Hi, Jordan. How's it going? Good. How are you? Good. Thank you. How did it make you feel when you heard the governor's declaration saying that we're in this water crisis situation? You know, I uh, it's interesting as a water conservation coordinator or as somebody that works in water conservation. Um, it's kind of I kind of felt that we've been in this crisis for the last five years. So it was it was really good to hear the governor kind of come out and actually state that, uh, make a public announcement, kind of a social announcement for for people that maybe don't work in 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 conservation every day to kind of understand that hey, we are in a water crisis. It's it's maybe a little more severe this year than others because of you know. The, the lack of snow or rain that we've received. Um, but to be honest, I mean, I think we've kind of been in one in Utah and uh, we've kind of known that and we've been working towards trying to mitigate, you know, the effects of that and for the long run. Now, South Jordan is one of Utah's fastest growing cities. So how do you work to maintain the water supply now and prepare for future residents? So, you know, South Jordan does a lot of really interesting things. We're one of the only cities um, in this valley that has a water conservation coordinator position that's designated to conservation, um, which is myself. And then we actually added another position last year that is under me. That's a water conservation um, maintenance worker. So that person does strictly and solely water conservation efforts. Uh, We do lots of rebate programs and different things that the both of us work on on a daily and weekly and monthly basis. You know, we're constantly working with our supplier, our water supplier, Jordan Valley Water Conservancy District to make sure that we're meeting all the requirements that we need to be meeting for saving water and trying to, you know, put ordinances in place and things like that to to maintain the, the you know, the, the water supply for our future residents. So when we talk about the growth in South Jordan and all the new neighborhoods going in, do you look at the policies in place regarding new construction and specifically conservation measures that could be incorporated or mandated with some of the new growth? Yeah, you know what? We actually, in the past, we've, we actually have a, a water wise or a water conservation code hasn't really been adhered to. We don't have anybody to really, I guess, enforce that. We're so shorthanded with our inspectors and things. But this year, Jordan Valley Water Conservancy has extended um, some new landscaping standards that they would like the people or they, they would like their um, consumers to to try to 
apply. And I know that South Jordan City has been working closely with them and our city council and our, our mayor to try to get those um, in place, um, hopefully this year, um, end of this year, so that we can have a little bit more impact on new new builds, right? I mean, there's no sense to be advocating for grass removal and trying to conserve water and then putting new grass in new builds, you know? So there's a lot of that going on. Um, nothing set in stone just yet, but that, that is in the works for sure. Well, are some of those landscaping standards being utilized by the city itself? We flipped, I believe it was over 80 park strips last year, just in South Jordan City alone. And, you know, it's been figured that every time we do one of those, we can be saving anywhere, you know, five to 7,000 gallons of water a year per park strip. So, I mean, it's making a difference. It um, even switching a toilet out. I mean, we're talking gallons that saves gallons and gallons of water over time. And I think that's really where the end goal is, is that, we're not going to stop using water. We just need to use it smarter. Are there practical tips that you share with residents or even rebates that we ought to point out that you're offering in South Jordan? Yeah, I mean, we have really great rebates here. We have awesome programs. Um, like I said, we have a Jordan Valley calls it a flip your strip, but we have something similar where, you know, we help residents pull their park strips out um, at no cost to them or very little cost to them. Uh, if they do the work of removing the grass, we will provide them with drip irrigation, rock mulch or crushed rock to go in the in the uh, park strips along with a plant rebate so that they can put plants in the park strips and that kind of stuff. It requires way less water than your traditional park strips. So we have a program for that. We have your traditional toilet rebates, um, water sense fixture rebates, things of that nature. Uh, we do water auditing in the summertime where we actually do a free service about an hour long where we'll go through people's sprinkler systems and help them adjust their sprinklers and their, uh, their timers and things like that so that they can be more efficient in their watering during the irrigation season. You know, lots of different things like that where we offer at the city. We have a, we have a website, watersmartsojo.org, and that has all the information on it for our city. So with what you've learned being with South Jordan for a while now and dealing specifically with this, what can other cities learn from the experiences that you may have had in South Jordan, you know, about where to start or what works? I think it all boils down to budget um, for a lot of these cities. I think it boils down to being able to pass off a position that specifically deals with conservation. I think that was the game changer for South Jordan City is when they they put somebody in charge of water conservation and that was their only job. And I think that's really where the tides turned. where We were able to do far more advertising and get our, our programs really on board with what's going on with the state. And uh, we were able to really spend the time needed to run the numbers and do the data crunching and, per, you know, do our own, our own conservation plans. It's not that, that stuff isn't hired out by, you know, a, a, a firm or anything like that. That stuff is made here in house at South Jordan city. And it's because we have the people to do it. And I think that's really where the difference is made. If you have, the employees and you have the time and the man hours to put into these programs and conservation, you're going to see twice the amount of success as you would just trying to kind of add it on to somebody else's daily tasks. For example, a water manager or somebody of that nature. And it seems like a lot of it might have to do with the messaging that just goes out to the residents about, you know, taking these voluntary steps to conserve water. Yeah. You know, I mean, really it is, you know, it's kind of a, one of those things where, you don't think about it. Like I mentioned earlier in, in, in the podcast, you know, you look up in the mountains and you see all that beautiful white snow and you think, man, we got water for days. And, and then you drive up to the reservoirs and they're nearly empty. It's, it's really an educational thing. 
water conservation is education of what we're of what we're trying to do you know a lot of people will say secondary water we're just using secondary water well secondary water is just an untreated culinary water source i get that it's cheaper and whatever but it it, you know it's all the same water it it all comes from the same places and it all has the same function for um at the end of the day so i think that really the education portion of it the uh, word of mouth which is why i think the governor's announcement was so great because it kind of got people wondering and and wanting to make a change for the better. What should people know about numbers like we're seeing? What does this mean, not only for this summer and this fall, but for the future if, if this trend continues? Well, and I mean, I think the reality is if the trend continues and we continue to use more than we get, you know, I think everybody knows where we end up with that and not to be a doomsdayer or anything of that nature. But I mean, water is not an infinite resource. It is something that we will run out of if we are not smart with it. And it's something that is, you know, we may not run out of it in the world, but in a particular area, I mean, if the, if the water runs dry, you know, and the, the sink turns on, there's really nothing to come out of there. And I think that that's the biggest thing that we can do for people in understanding the numbers is they need to know that 70% um, of somebody's water use over the course of a year is used on their lawn and their bushes. And you've got to wonder, is that 70% of our water storage worth the grass? Or, you know, could we cut down in areas and be able to reduce that? Maybe we reduce it to a 40%. Well, that's 30 more percent that we can put into our our storage to, you know, to last us that much longer. That's a lot of water on landscaping, boy. Yep. 70% of a person's water usage will be used in landscape. Grass is the number one sucker of water. It loves the, it loves water. I believe that Utah, I, I can't forget where it falls, but I, you know, we, we always tell people it's the second driest state, you know, and that's, it's hard to believe that you look around and you're like, wow, you know, second Utah, the second driest state. I mean, what about Arizona? What about Nevada? What about these places? Well, it all depends on water source and, you know, drought. And again, we've been in a drought for years. It's, it's nothing new. It's just how severe it gets when we don't have a year that produces a lot of snow and rain. You know, that just sinks the hole deeper. We're already in a deep hole. Cities have disappeared. Cities have become ghost towns because they run out of water. Absolutely, they have. No water has an impact on a lot more than just drinking. You know, if we're using all the water that we have, the water doesn't make it to the Great Salt Lake. And if the Great Salt Lake dries up, you're going to have a ginormous dust bowl that is going to affect air quality. It's going to affect people's way of life in this valley. The water in in the Great Salt Lake is very important to the ecosystem of this valley. And if we dry it up because we're using all the water, there's just more there to unpack about the, 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 the negative effects that we're going to have here in Utah. In spite of what it may look like outside, we want to encourage everyone to heed the warnings, take the numbers seriously, and act now to prevent a severe water shortage later. A water shortage in Utah could go much beyond being uncomfortable for residents due to brown lawns or water rationing. It could be devastating for the crews protecting our homes and neighborhoods when wildfires break out on the dry hillsides of Utah. Thanks to our guests for this podcast, Candace Hassenjäger and Laura Haskell from Utah's Division of Water Quality, and Jordan Allen from the city of South Jordan. We also appreciate Prepare 60 for their support of the Utah League of Cities and Towns. We hope you enjoyed the City's Work podcast, a production of the Utah League of Cities and Towns. You can find all our podcasts on our website, ulct.org, 
or wherever you get your podcast. We'll talk to you next time. This is Susan Wood.